Father, we thank you for an opportunity to express our devotion towards you. And it is an amazing thing to have, our, have had our eyes open to see the beauty of Christ. And Father, I know there are some even here today that um, wrestle with that, still haven't yet come to the conclusion or the realization or even the acceptance of the person of God in the child born to Mary. But it's a truth and a reality that changes everything. And it would be wrong for us to worship any human being because that child was the son of God because of who he was and what he did he is worthy of our worship thank you that we can worship you father open the eyes of others to see the reality of what we have just sung about and who we worship also in Jesus name amen uh, book of James James chapter 1 I want to read uh, from verse 19 to verse 21 and uh, to consider now James as he moves us to thinking about the Word of God but let every person be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Father, I thank you for your word that's before us today. And uh, would you help us to grasp, to comprehend the true nature and reality of your word, what it does in us, how it transforms us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. As we're thinking through uh, the first chapter of James, we've been um, introduced to a lot of different topics. One of them is uh, the genuineness of our faith and how we uh, need to continually just examine our faith and to test it against some various markers. One of the markers that uh, James sets before us as a test is how we endure trials. And uh, that trials are uh, something that um, test the genuineness of our faith or the reality of our faith. Is, it produces endurance and then produces character and produces steadfast and ultimately at the end when we stand uh, uh, before God in the day of our death or day of his return um, we will receive the crown of righteousness for all who loved him and so steadfastness in trials is one of the ways in which we can um, see the genuineness of our faith another way and there's more but uh, one that I want to spend a little bit of time introducing today and then we'll spend one more week on it is our response to the Word of God uh, and the Word of God is a living Word. We know that. It's not just words on a page. There's something unique about the words of Scripture. Uh, and uh, it is a living Word, and it is a Word that changes us and transforms us. And in fact, James will now spend a little bit of time looking at that. We saw last week that we are born again by the will of God through the Word of Truth. There's a, a life-giving quality or character to the Word of God that makes we who were dead in our sins and trespasses alive when we hear the word and are born again through it. But that's not where it ends in our life. Our response to the word of God is just not an initial one time, oh yes, I need this, I hear the gospel and I put my faith in it. Uh, there is that response, but then there is an ongoing life change response to the word of God that is part of our growth in faith. 
in this sense, not only is the Word of God the instrument of our new birth, but it is also the means through which we make progress spiritually or in faith. And so it's the Word of God that makes us new, and it's the Word of God implanted in us that is, enable, that, that is able to save our souls. So the Word of God saves us, and the Word of God sanctifies us or changes us. The Gospel saves us, but the Gospel also transforms us. And James is going to use a, a three sort of different words for uh, our response to the Word of God. We'll look at two this week, and then when we come back to James, we'll pick up the third. But he talks about hearing the Word of God, about receiving the Word of God, and then about obeying the Word of God. And these are ways in which we can uh, examine the genuineness of our faith and see if it's producing fruit in our lives. So he begins by just talking about hearing the Word of God, how we move from this incredible reality that we are born again by the will of God. We are new creatures in Christ to living that life now because as, as we are born, that's not enough. We now need to grow into maturity. And so how do we move from new birth into new life? It's really a, a question that we need to wrestle with and James begins to push us in this direction. And one of the ways he does it by, is by sort of undermining a cultural um, reality. James is really counter-cultural as he takes us into this now because we live in a, a world where your opinion is everything. And we have wars of opinions now. It, it's just something that is part of our culture now. We all have an opinion and we all feel that we have the right to express that opinion. That's what drives the various news stations in, our, in North America. There's just a lineup of people who all want to share their opinions. And if you ever have watched these newscasts, I can't watch them anymore, but they, they have one person and before they're even finished talking, somebody else is talking over them. And they're, 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 it's just this cacophony of words that you can't make sense of. We have opinions that are being expressed in social media. Everybody wants to express their uh, opinion on various social media platforms. And so sometimes we invite people's opinions. We want an immediate reaction to a new hairdo or to, to, a, to a new dog that we've bought or uh, something that we're doing. And so we got all these likes and we're happy when we get lots of likes and we're disappointed when we don't get any likes. And, and then there's all these sort of responses on other things where, where, where people, I think sometimes they forget that they're not anonymous. And they say things through some of these social platforms that are just brutal. But we all feel that we have a right to express our opinions and that our opinions are the things that matter. Well, James is going to go countercultural here, and he does go countercultural here. He wants to take our opinions and hold them up against the Word of God. And here in verse 19, we meet an example of of where we need to consider the context because if we don't people will lift out this particular verse and say this is great wisdom be slow to hear or be quick to hear be slow to speak and be slow to anger and we pull that out and we say well that's great advice but what is the context of which James is using that because it is in a context in the book of James from verse 13 on James has been talking about temptation how it works, where it comes from. And it talks about our sinful nature, our flesh, that that's the root of our temptation. It doesn't come from God. 
God is not the source of our temptation. God is not the author of our temptation. In fact, he can't be tempted because there is no evil in him. But it doesn't mean that God abandons us in our temptation. And so we looked last week at one of the most significant ways in which God doesn't abandon us. He gives us new birth. He gives us a new nature. So now we can finally fight the temptation that rears itself up in our lives. But there's more than just new birth. God now works in us to change the inclinations of our desires, to produce in us righteousness that, that is in a complete different direction than where our temptations want to take us. And that is produced through our response to the Word of God. And so just as our old nature, as we listen to it, as we listen to our flesh, as we respond to the words of the devil and the world around us, that's part of our new nature. In our old nature, there's a new voice now that we need to listen to. In this nature that God has created in us, there's this voice that, we, that will nourish us and that will give life to us and will give direction to us, and it's the Word of God. Notice what James says in verse 18. He says that we have been brought forth by the word of truth. In verse uh, 19, there's a reference, I believe, to the word when it says, be quick to hear. Well, hear what? I think it's the word of truth. In verse 21, we are told that we are, have the word implanted in us. In verse 22, we are told to be doers of the word. In verse 23, we are said, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. In verse 25, the perfect law of liberty, which I believe is a reference to all of Scripture. And so for the next little while, James wants to hone in on the place of the word of God in the life of the child of God. And at the same word which has given us life, the word of truth, is at the same time the word that sustains us in that life and that helps us grow in the righteousness of God. So not only is the gospel the power of God to salvation, as I said, the gospel of God is the power of transformation. It brings out that new nature in us. And so James wants to talk about our response to that word. And the first thing he says is that we need to be quick to hear. Again, what's, what's the context? Quick to hear what? Quick to hear the word of God, the word of truth. By hearing the word of God, our spiritual nature is stimulated as food on our taste buds stimulates our digestive juices. I don't ever want to be one that disparages Bible reading programs. I have followed the same one for probably 15 to 20 years now at least. Or the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day, like we're gathered here today to sing the Word of God, to pray the Word of God, to have our children taught the Word of God, to hear the Word of God proclaimed and, 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 and opened up to us. But do you think it is possible to read the Word of God just to move a bookmark? Do you think it's possible to read a, a yearly reading plan just to move from December 12th to December the 13th? Do you think it is possible to hear the word of God as a matter of discipline, but to never hear it? See, what James is getting at here is, is we need to cultivate an attentive spirit. Be quick to hear carries this understanding of be careful to listen. It's not in one ear and out the other. It's not reading to fulfill the demands of a plan. Rather, as they say, to cultivate an attentive ear. 
We need to become convinced that the Word of God has something to say to us in every season of life. In season and out of season, in any trial, in any situation, in any temptation, in any desire, in any want, the Word of God has something to say. We need to soak in this reality that my response to the Word of God needs to be, I need to be quick to hear. And that's where the next one follows, but slow to speak. You see, it's very difficult to hear, is it not? If you are just itching to respond. If you're just itching to give your own opinion. If you're just itching to rebut what somebody has said to you. It's difficult if you're it's difficult to listen to somebody if you're not attentive to what is being said. And so again, if your focus is on, uh, on, on what you want to say back, on making your point, on giving your dispense, you will never hear fully what somebody is saying to you. Because you just can't wait to get a word in edgewise. You've seen it. You've experienced I see your heads. We understand this reality. And if you are focused on a TV program that you're watching or the music that you're listening to or the pages that you're browsing on, a, on the internet, you will not be able to hear what your spouse or your kids or your parents are saying. See, it's impossible to have a reasonable discussion with somebody who's not willing to listen, who is not hearing what you are saying. Our attitude should be when we come to the Word of God that I'm coming to the wisdom of the universe. I am coming to the one who knows all things. I am the, coming to the one who has created this world and everything in it. I'm coming to the one who created me, who knows me inside and out. As the psalmist said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I often think of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 in relation to my prayer life and even my response to the Word of God. As you enter the Word of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. That's not me. That's the writer to Ecclesiastes. He's getting at something really important there. He's saying, when you come to the Word of God, when you come to, the, um, to church, to where we gather, come with your ears open and your mouth shut. And then he goes on in, the, in Ecclesiastes, he says, evil to make mindless offerings to God. That's pretty, pretty cutting. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. So in the context, what James is encouraging us here, those who have new life in us and want to see that new life grow and bear fruit, he's saying, let God speak. Let his words settle in your hearts. Don't be over-anxious about making your rebuttal or your comeback to God when you read His Word. Be slow to argue, slow to rebut. We see this in Mary. Mary had this incredible response. Um, you know, she did question initially the angel, how can this be? But the angel gave her a little bit more information. And finally she said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So we have an attentive spirit. We have this response that James talks about here, which is a thoughtful spirit, one, one that is, is, is slow to speak back. But then we have a quiet spirit. He says here, and be slow to anger. And think, well, how does that have any connection to our response to the Word of God? 
The word used for anger here is, is not an explosive anger. There is another word in the Bible that talks about it. And we know that. We know people who have, their, their, their problem with anger is explosive. They just explode. And then there's people like me who deal with anger internally. And a lot of times you don't even know I'm mad at you. <laughs> just sits in there. This is the word that's used here. It's a resentment that sees and smolders inside, often unnoticed by others. The Lord sees it. Maybe nobody else sees it. But what's he talking about here? Be slow to anger. Well, I think what James is getting at here is he's, it's the anger that we have towards the Word of God. Anything that the Word of God confronts us on, a behavior or an attitude. Take the Ten Commandments, for instance. There's a cherished behavior that we have, a personal belief that we want to hang on to, a standard of behavior that we have. And I think what James is saying, we will never grow in the righteousness of God if we dig our heels in and say, no, I don't care what you say, God. In fact, I don't like what you say, God. This is what I'm going to do. See, the Word of God has this uncanny way of exposing the things in us that need to change. And James says, listen, when that happens, don't get mad at God. Don't push back at God. Paul experienced this in Galatia. He says, so I have, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You see, well, I'm seeing this more and more. I've been in the ministry probably for 30, 35 years now. And, and there seems, even amongst the people of God, to be a growing resistance to the Word of God. People just simply refuse to obey it. They refuse to bring their lives in line with the word. I see it with young people in relationships and attitudes to sexual immorality. I see it in older people with greed and anger and, and coveting. and It's just on and on and on. We just get ticked off at the word of God. How dare the word of God challenge my life? See, but James says here, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we're always railing at the word of God, it will never produce the fruit of righteousness that God intends it to produce in our life. That comes from obedience. I see this in our homes. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It does sadden me in our culture to see the arguing that goes on between children and young people and their parents. To see children and young people railing against their parents, not listening to what their parents are saying, but talking over them, yelling at them, can't wait to argue their point and, and, and make their position known. And if they still don't get the way, they walk off and slam doors and, and, and just, just take off. They're angry. How dare my parent ever put some boundary in my life. I think, how will such attitudes in our children ever help them learn from the years of experience that their parents have and the God-given responsibility that their parents have to instruct them in the way of righteousness? You see, and I think that in the homes, as you learn to listen to your parents, 
So as you transfer that to your relationship with God, so you listen to God. You know, the writer of Proverbs, my son, be attentive to my wisdom and incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and that lips may guard your knowledge. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your mind. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call insight your intimate friend. You know, your relationship with God begins through your relationship with your parents in many ways. I see this in sports arenas. And again, it seems to be growing. I don't know if it's our culture, but you have kids who just won't listen to their coaches. Not just kids, you have adults that won't listen to their coaches, even in the professional level. They have their opinions about what positions they should play, how often they should play, maybe what plays should be implemented and how they should be used. They become angry at the coach when the coach benches them or when the coach thinks that somebody else should maybe be playing for a little bit and not them. And I think those are the ones that will never grow into champions and, and, and see, the, see the effectiveness of that particular sports field produced in them because they're always railing against those that want to teach them in a much more critical way. It's as we respond to the Word of God, as we obey the Word of God, the righteousness of God is produced in us. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So we've got to hear the word of God, and James gives us some insight into hearing the word of God. Cultivate an, intent, an attentive spirit. Cultivate a quiet spirit. How do we receive the word of God? Further, we cultivate a receptive heart. This is a heart of purity. See, this is part of the transformation that takes place in us. And by cultivating a heart of purity, what James is saying, we need to get rid of the residue of our old nature and begin to live more fully in our new nature that God has created with us. And so we have to do something in the soil of our hearts. And here it takes work. Now, now our regeneration, our new birth, is completely and entirely a work of God. But the work of sanctification is a work of cooperation where we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the Word of God in our obedience to it. And so James says something really important here in verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That put away is, is, a, is a, a, a word that's often used in the context of taking off dirty clothes. And so what he's saying is take, it, take off the dirty clothes of your old nature. You know, most, many of us have, have that favorite t-shirt or that favorite sweatshirt or that favorite pair of socks that we should have thrown out years ago, but for some reason we keep wearing it. And there's some reality about our old nature that's the same way. We just, we just don't want to get rid of some of those things in our old nature. But notice what he says. We are to get rid of all filth and rampant wickedness. Filth impairs our hearing. Spiritual and moral filth impairs our hearing like wax in the ear. Unchecked or undealt with sin makes it more difficult for us to hear the Word of God. And so the implications here are for the Christian life really challenge many of our assumptions and our hypocrisies. Let me be just really honest with you for a couple minutes as I've worked through this stuff. 
on my own. Notice that James is talking to Christians here. He's talking to those who have been born again by the word of truth. And so to those people, he says, therefore, get rid of all filth and rampant wickedness. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about sanctification. You and I ought to know that the moment you become a follower of Christ, you do not become perfect. The old nature still lives in us. It, it's, it, it still has gasps in our, in our bodies of life. And so we need to get rid of those vestiges of our old nature and increasingly walk in the newness of life that God has given us. We will never be perfect this side of heaven, ever. There is no such thing as sinless perfection. So this rampant wickedness, this filth, is still in us. It's when we fail to admit this or see this that we are ripe for living hypocritical lives. We have our public and our private lives. And you see, the devil doesn't want us ever to look into our own hearts and see the stuff that's in there. He would rather have us deny it rather than face it and get rid of it. He would rather have us keep quiet about it than say anything about it to anybody else. And rather than us going out for coffee with a friend or, 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 or going to see somebody and say, listen, th these are the thoughts that I'm wrestling with. Or these are behaviors that I'm wrestling with. I, I still can't get rid of them. We say, well, no, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to have those. And so we deny it or we suppress them rather than be honest about it and get rid of them. And we're also worried, though, in the Christian community when we think about filth and rampant wickedness, that if anyone knows what goes on in my heart, all I'll receive is the censure and the judgment of God's people. I mean, where is the grace and the mercy that we ought to receive from brothers and sisters in Christ? Where is the gentleness that we ought to be the recipients of? Paul got this. He says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, by that he's meaning any of you who are born again, so any Christian, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourselves lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The burdens of what? The, the burdens of sin and temptation. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not giving license to any of us to continue living in our sin. Well, you said we've got wickedness and filth in us. That's what you said. Well, I know I said that. We're supposed to get rid of it. And I'm not saying that we should go soft on sin. We do need to deal with sin in one another's lives, but in gentleness. What I am saying, though, is that there's no such thing as moral perfection in any of us this side of heaven. What I am saying is that we need to be more willing to bear with one another as they walk out of their old nature into their new life. What I am saying is that I need to be honest with the filth and the wickedness that is still in me and confess it, deal with it. 
What I am saying is that we are still engaged in a mortal combat between our old nature and our new nature. The outcome is sure, but the battle is hard fought. What I am saying is we need to become ruthless tenders of our hearts. We need to learn to hate what we once loved. To switch the metaphor from taking off dirty clothes to gardening, we have a picture of weeding here as well. We need to dig out the weeds of filth and wickedness that grew in our hearts before we came to know Christ. And we dig them out, and I think this might be your experience if you've been walking the path of faith for any length of time. You dig out the weeds of wickedness in one place only to find them popping up in another place. And then you go to that other place and you start weeding over there and you look back over here and they're popping up back here over again. I'm always so thankful for the people in our community who, who cut broom in bloom. And you know, you, you go by the highway and there's these massive piles of broom. And then behind them, there's more broom. And then next year, there's more broom. But you know, they faithfully, year after year, cut down the broom so it doesn't overtake. And you've seen some of these lots where it just overtakes. Well, that's sometimes what the Christian life feels like. You know, you, you just hack down the weeds and you, you clear out a patch of ground and before you know it, they're coming back up again. It's an ongoing battle. But we do make progress and we can make progress. You can talk to those who gardener are good at it and they do make progress with gardening by doing a little bit every day and by turning over the soil and and, and, and by the things that they do. And eventually they get to a place where there's less weeds than um, plants. You see how this relates to temptation again, though? It's the Word of God that, that exposes the evil and the good in us. It's the Word of God that reveals the path of God. It's the Word of God that says, these are weeds, you need to pull them out, and these are the things that will produce the righteousness of God in you. And finally, we need to fertilize the soil of our hearts. I am, um, you know, I, somebody um, talked to Kathy about how they plant gar garlic, and it was fascinating. You don't just stick it in the ground. You know, you, you prepare the ground, and then this individual had a few tricks and tips that they say, well, you need to put this in the soil. And some of you have replanted trees. Sometimes you put, I don't know, that stuff in. It comes in bags, and you, you pour it in. But you help the soil along a little bit. Well, it's the same in our hearts. There, not only do we turn over the soil, but we fertilize the soil. And how do you fertilize the soil of your heart? Well, notice what James says. He says, receive it with humility or with meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. See what James is coming back to this again. And, He's saying our heart response, our mind response to the Word of God matters. That we, we come, you know, being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We come to God saying, God, I will start to get rid of this stuff in my life. And as the Word of God is before us and as we read it and as we hear it, then we have this heart of humility that rather than railing and rather than resisting and rather than fighting, we, 
like Mary, say, do it unto me according to your word. It's the attitude of receptiveness. It's, it's the soil, it's the fertilizer in the soil of our heart that allows the word of God to flourish and to see it produce his righteousness in us. Some days I'm closer to this than others. Uh, Psalm 119 I've read numerous times and preached through it two or three times in my life. One of the expressions that you find six or eight times in Psalm 119, this is one way it says is, Oh, how I love your word. This is the psalmist's relationship with the word of God. Oh, how I love your word. That expression in itself is an expression of humility and meekness before the Word of God. I've been listening to a song for two months now um, based on Psalm 130. It's a great rendition by the Gettys. And uh, I just can't get the chorus out of my head. It's been there throughout the day for weeks. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, till my soul is satisfied. That's a humble, I'm not pointing to myself, but that's, that's part of what it means, I think, to have a humble response to the word of God. God, just speak to me. I'll listen. I'll listen. Speak to me. Over and over, we need to fertilize the ground of our heart with this stance of humility. So plant the word of God in good soil. Receive with humility the implanted word of God, which is what? Able to save your souls. Here's the progress again, right? We saw progress in trials, that, that as we endure in trials, when we get to the end, those of us who are standing will receive the crown of life. And so now here we see as new birth is created in us that as we continue to respond to the implanted word it is able to save our souls it's not finished yet the work of God in our life but it is able to save our souls so loved ones as you think about the word of God as you come to the word of God cultivate a hearing ear cultivate a receptive heart as the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commandments. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction. May we continually and increasingly be convinced. This is no ordinary word. This is the living, eternal Word of God that is not only able to breathe life or give life to us, but it is able to produce the fruit of righteousness so that we will become like our Father. Father, I thank you for your Word today. And uh, I pray that you will create in us receptive hearts that we would not just be content to have been born, but that we will want to flourish in that new life. And I pray for those who have not yet received the word of truth, 
Oh, Father, give them a receptive heart to your word, I pray. The word of life, in Jesus' name, amen.